بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله we uh, are beginning our new course uh, after Ramadan which deals with the tafsir of the short surahs of the Quran Alhamdulillah and the importance of the subject is definitely one of which is of utmost importance and we will go through in today's lesson some of the important points of this course and the importance of tafsir in general especially uh, regarding these surahs the oft recited surahs of the Quran which is known as the the Qisar al-Mufassal or the short surahs um, of the Quran this in reality is Kalamullah that we are speaking about the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is why it is of utmost importance already for us to go into and to try and understand and to try and contemplate and reflect over these ayat and these verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we look at some ayat firstly as an introduction uh, which shows us the importance of this book. This shows us the importance of this kalamullah and why it's so important for us to delve into and to try our best to achieve some type of understanding of the of the Quran. So firstly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says innal ladina kafaru bidhikri lamma ja'ahum wa innahu lakitabun aziz la ya'tihi al-batil min bayni yadayhi wa la min khalfihi tanzilun min hakimin hamid. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says indeed those who deny the reminder after it has come to them are doomed for it is truly a mighty book. The reminder here refers to the Quran. Those who deny the reminder after it has come to them. Once they received the, the, the message and they still turn away, indeed they are doomed. For it is truly a mighty book. Like Kitabun Aziz. No batil. It cannot be proven false. No falsehood can approach the Quran. It cannot be proven false from any angle. Tanzilun min hakimin hamid. It is a revelation from Hakim and Hamid, from the one who is all wise and Hamid, he is praiseworthy. This is a revelation from Allah Azza wa Jal. This is the speech of Al-Hakim and it was revealed by him and by his other name which is Hamid, the praiseworthy. So this book can never be afflicted with any type of shortcoming or falsehood. Falsehood cannot approach it. It cannot be proven to be false from any angle because it came from Al-Hakim. It came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is full of wisdom. And he has no shortcoming with, with, with who he is. And he has no shortcoming. And we've, we, we discussed this in detail in our previous course. Alhamdulillah in the fiqh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's names. Uh, where we went into these names and so forth. In another verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Ya ayyuhal nasu qad jaatkum maw'idhatun min rabbikum wa shifa'un lima fi suduri wa huda wa rahmatun lil mu'mineen. Ya ayyuhal nas, O mankind, or O humanity, 
Indeed, there has come to you a warning from your Lord. A mawidah. A mawidah. A warning. Also a reminder from your Lord. وَشِفَاءٌ لِمَا فِي الصُّدُورِ Which is also a cure for what is in the hearts. وَهُدَى And it's a guide. وَرَحْمَةٌ لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ And it's also a mercy for the believers. Indeed, this ayah again speaks about this mawidah is the reminder, the warning which has come from our Lord is the Qur'an. This is Kalamullah, direct speech from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, that we have received. But how are we going to benefit from these admonishments, these warnings, these reminders, if we do not learn the understandings of the Qur'an, if we do not learn the message of the Qur'an? In another ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, هُوَ الَّذِي يُنَزِّلُ عَلَىٰ عَبْدِهِ آيَاتٍ بَيِّنَاتٍ لِيُخْرِجَكُمْ مِنَ الظُّلُمَاتِ إِلَى النُّورِ وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ بِكُمْ لَرَؤُوفٌ رَّحِيمٌ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, He is the one who sends down clear revelations. آياتٍ بَيِّنَات Clear ayat, clear verses, clear signs. For what purpose? لِيُخْرِجَكُمْ مِنَ الظُّلُمَاتِ إِلَى النُّورِ he sends these signs and revelations, clear ayat to his slaves, to take you out of darkness and into light. This is one of the purposes of the Qur'an. It's guidance to take us out of zulm, out of darkness and into light. وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ بِكُمْ For indeed Allah is ever gracious and most merciful to you. So, one of the aims of the Qur'an is, it's a book of guidance. It's a book of guidance for mankind. And it is through the guidance of the Qur'an, through the guidance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by following His teachings in the Qur'an, that we achieve guidance, bi'idhnillah ta'ala. But again, the question we need to ask ourselves is, if we don't know the message of the Qur'an, if we don't make an effort to study the Qur'an, what is Allah saying in this Qur'an, then how will this Qur'an be a book of guidance for us? How will we be able to extract the guidances from the Qur'an if we don't make an effort to sit and ponder and contemplate and try to understand and study the, the tafsir and the, the message of the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, كِتَابٌ أَنزَلْنَاهُ إِلَيْكَ مُبَارَكٌ لِيَدَّبَّرُ آيَاتِهِ وَلِيَتَذَكَّرَ أُولُ الْأَلْبَابِ In Surah Al-Sad, verse 29, Allah Azza wa Jal, He says, This is a book, or a blessed book, which we have revealed to you, O Prophet. To you, يعني to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's a book which is mubarak, Allah says. Kitabun anzalnahu ilayka mubarakun. This entire Qur'an is blessed. It's mubarak from start to finish. Every single ayah is full of barakah. Every single word in the Qur'an is full of barakah. لِيَدَّبَّرُ آيَاتِهِ Again, Allah mentions why. Why did we send this blessed book to you? لِيَدَّبَّرُ آيَاتِهِ So that they may contemplate its ayat. Its verses, its teachings, that they can spend time and contemplate and study the teachings of the Quran and study the verses of the Quran and study the message that the Quran has come with, the stories that the Quran has mentioned, which has great benefits and lessons within it. This is why one of the main, main reasons why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent us this book, ayati, so that they can contemplate and reflect and ponder over its ayat. وَلِيَتَذَكَّرَ أُولُو الْأَلْبَابِ And people of reason may be mindful. People who are reasonable, people who are on the guidance, people who take heed 
they will be mindful. It will be a reminder for them. They will take heed. They will, they will take this Qur'an and they will listen and they will follow its teachings ta'ala. So, those are some of the ayat that speaks about the greatness of the Qur'an, the status of the Qur'an, that Allah within the Qur'an is telling us about the importance of the Qur'an. But also specifically that this Qur'an is there to be reflected over and to be contemplated over and to be understood. Not just to be recited. Reciting Qur'an is an ibadah, it's an act of worship, yes. But over and above that, recitation that has understanding with it is way, way better than just reciting the Qur'an. So we learn to recite the Qur'an at a young age, which is very important. But we should also continuously throughout our life strive to try and implement or not just implement, firstly try to understand the message of the Qur'an and the ayat of the Qur'an and then we implement those teachings. If we look at the Sahaba, radiallahu ta'ala anhum, ajma'in, may Allah be pleased with all of them. The Sahaba are our role models and they were the best nation that has been sent to mankind. They are the best of insan that walked this earth after the Anbiya and the Rusul. After the Prophets and the Messengers, came the Sahaba, the best of nations. Yet, what do we find from amongst the Sahaba? Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, he mentioned that the Sahaba would not go beyond 10 ayat until they had learned them and understood the knowledge therein and how to act upon it. What does this mean? Yani they would take 10 ayat, memorize 10 ayat of the Quran and stop. And they would not move on from those 10 ayat unless they have understood those 10 ayat. Now remember, these, most of the Sahaba at least, not all of them, they were Arabs. They understood the Quran and they had the highest level of Arabic. Today the Arabic language has been watered down and it's become weakened amongst the Arabs. So much so even the Arabs need to go and study Arabic. So... The Sahaba were not like that. Many of them were eloquent and they understood this language deeply. And so much so, some, many of them accepted Islam just upon hearing the Qur'an. Just upon hearing the eloquence of the Qur'an and the precision of the Qur'an within this lugha, the language, they accepted the Qur'an because of that. But yet, when they took 10 ayat, they would have understood it on face value, according to, you know, just the Arabic language. But this wasn't enough for them. This shows that they went for a deeper understanding. And this is where the science of tafsir comes in for us today. Them, they would go and they would sit and ask each other and study the Qur'an amongst each other. Ask those who had more knowledge uh, than them. Or go to Rasulullah and ask him about ayat and so forth. And only once they understood these ten ayat. And they, they believed that they were acting upon these ten ayat. Only when this happened did they move on to the next ten ayat. So this is how they studied the Qur'an and how they actually memorized the Qur'an. It was not, you know, today when we memorize the Qur'an, we start from the beginning and we go all the way until we finished without understanding anything. So this is the difference between us and the Sahaba. So the asal, the best way actually to study is we should actually be studying it similar to the way that the Sahaba studied it. This would be the best way, right? And, and this is one of the reasons why many of the Sahaba were not Hufad. 
because they took their time. They did not just try to memorize the book only. Right? There's great virtue to memorizing the book without a doubt. But this shows that the Sahaba were looking for something beyond just memorizing. More important to them was understanding the message and implementing the message. So, how should we learn the Quran? This is a, a question that we could ask. Should, should we implement the same methodology? Uh, I would say that if it's possible, then yes. Although for younger kids, for example, who are not going to understand much, for them, we say memorize. For them, they should memorize as much as they can, and as they get older, they should then go back and try and study the Arabic language, or at least start to study tafsir and so forth, and try to understand the various ayat and, and the surahs of the Qur'an. But from a young age, we can say memorize, and try to pick up Arabic as they, grow, as they are growing up, because this will definitely be an advantage for them. And then, as they get older, and they get to a, a stage and a point where they can understand better, this is where they can then uh, progress and try to try to understand the Qur'an. So, that this is the best way to do it. For those who are older, perhaps they can take a different approach. They can start like the Sahaba did, because many of those Sahaba were older. They were not young. So this was the way that they did it, and we should try and do it in this way, bi'idhnillah, that would be the best way. Imam Abu Bakr al-Ajurri, rahimahullah, he wrote some beautiful books, and from amongst those books was a book, Adab Hamalatul Qur'an, the adab of the person who carries the book, who, has the, who carries the Qur'an within his chest, the adab of this person. And within this book, he mentioned some things, and he said, that Allah Azza wa urges people to reflect upon the Qur'an. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, أَفَلَا يَتَدَبَّرُونَ الْقُرْآنَ أَمْ عَلَىٰ قُلُوبٍ أَقْفَالُهَا Then do they not reflect upon the Qur'an? Or are they locks upon their hearts? Subhanallah, that is a deep ayah. Why are we not reflecting over the Qur'an? Perhaps our hearts are locked up. Perhaps it's chained. It's bound by our sin, by our negligence, by our heedlessness. That we are thinking and we're more concerned about other things. Perhaps our hearts are locked up and this is why we are not reflecting over the Qur'an. That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said. In another ayah, he mentions that Allah also said, أَفَلَا يَتَدَبَّرُونَ الْقُرْآنَ Similarly, Allah said, then do they not reflect upon the Qur'an? وَلَوْ كَانَ مِنْ عِنْدِ غَيْرِ اللَّهِ لَوَجَدُوا فِيهِ اخْتِلَافًا كَثِيرًا If it had been from anyone besides Allah, they would have found within it much contradiction. Yani, the fact that this Qur'an has come from Allah, Al-Hakim, the, the verse we mentioned in the beginning, that this ayah, this Qur'an, no falsehood can possibly approach it. It has come from Hakim and Hamid, the most wise and the praiseworthy. Had it come from, from other than Allah, Allah is saying in this ayah, you would have found within it contradictions, things that don't add up, problems, because this is, you know, when a person writes a book, insan, with his lack of knowledge, lack of wisdom, lack of foresight, none of our attributes are attributes of perfection, compared to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who has only perfect attributes. So everything that comes from Allah is perfect. But with, had it come from other than Allah, you would have seen the imperfections, you would have seen the discrepancies, you would have seen the shortcomings, you would have seen much contradiction. Subhanallah, again this is the power of the Qur'an. So why do we not ponder over the Qur'an? And then the Imam, he says, 
Do you not see, may Allah have mercy on you, how your most generous Lord urges his creation to reflect upon his words? Allah is, in those two ayat, Allah is urging us to reflect over his words. This is what Allah is trying to tell us through these ayat. Whoever reflects upon his words will come to know the Lord Jalla Jalaluhu. Ya Salam, how are we going to know Allah? How are we ever going to know our Lord if we don't sit and study His words, His book? So whomsoever takes the time and contemplates and sits and studies and reflects over the words of Allah will come to know Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And will come to know the greatness of His might and power. And then we will see the, the perfection of Allah. Then we will see the greatness of Allah. In every ayah there's, there's some type of miracle. The greatness of the Qur'an is such you will study an ayah and you learn something. Another day you will study the same ayah and you will learn something different. And so forth. People study this book from the day they, you know, they, they, they become of understanding till the day they die, 80, 90, 100 years old, and yet they are not satisfied. Yet the Qur'an teaches them new lessons all the time. And we see the power and the might and the wisdom and the knowledge of Allah. And the Imam says, and will... The person who does this will come to know the greatness of his grace and bounty towards the believers. Then we will see the true grace, the fadl, the, the virtue or the generosity of Allah, the bounty of Allah towards the believers. We will see the greatness of these attributes of Allah when we study the kalam of Allah. And he will come to know his duty to worship him. Subhanallah, once we see the greatness of the Qur'an, we will understand La ilaha illallah. We will understand that there is none worthy of worship except Allah. We will understand that this words are words of perfection. That this Qur'an is haqq. And it came from al-haqq, the one who is the truth. And it will lead us to the haqq. It will lead us to the truth, which is to worship Allah alone. And this is why we were created ultimately, as Allah has mentioned in the Qur'an. So we will know our duty to worship him and he will commit himself to do what is obligatory and he will be and will beware of whatever his most generous Lord has warned him against and he will be eager to do what he has urged him to do. Once we taste the sweetness of the Quran, we will then abstain from haram. We will see what Allah has prohibited, we are going to stay away from it. Because we know the greatness of Allah, we know the great bounties of Allah, we know our duty to Allah because of our relationship with the Quran. And we will try our best to fulfill whatever is obligatory. Whatever Allah has made fard or wajib, we will try our best to implement. Because we know our duty to Allah. And whatever Allah has recommended and urged us to do of goodness, we will strive and do as much of that as possible. This is the power of the Qur'an. And then this imam, he said, whoever has this attitude when reciting Qur'an, and when listening to someone else reciting it, the Qur'an will be a shifa for him. It will be a healing for him. Subhanallah, and this is the difference. It's one thing to recite the Qur'an. It's one thing to listen to the Qur'an. Most Muslims, if not all Muslims, we love to just sit and listen to the Qur'an. If you are maybe, maybe perhaps tired, or you're driving, or wherever you are, we put on the Qur'an, we have our favorite Qur'an that we listen to, and we relax. And this is something good. We will get reward for this. But there's deeper effects that we should be looking for and deeper uh, benefits that we should be looking for and this comes when we start to reflect over what this Qari is actually reciting not just his voice or his tune 
That is one thing. You know, that's, that's something separate. Rather, we should be after the words that he is uttering. And the depth of that, the, or the meanings behind those words. And so it, it, it may come to a point where it's not actually the Qadi that's that important. We should actually be focusing more on the recitation. The words that that Qadi is reciting. And not just who the Qadi necessarily is, or his beautiful voice and so forth. This doesn't mean that we should not listen to beautiful Quran. No, it's, it's, if a Qadi's uh, type of recitation brings about khushu and helps you focus and, and, and listen to the Qur'an, that's something good. Then we recommend this. But the point here is more important than the voice of the Qari and the tune of the Qari is the words that that Qari is reciting. So when we ato- adopt this approach that the Imam is mentioning, that we start to reflect over the words, then the Qur'an becomes a shifa for us. Then we start to, it cures us and it starts with the, the, the shifa of the hearts. It cures our, our hearts. It takes out all of the, the sin and the evil and the, the disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so forth. And even shifa for the body. And he will become independent of means even if he does not have wealth. The Imam is basically saying the Quran will suffice you. You will be sufficed in many regards. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala suffices us when we turn to him, when we put our trust in him, when we fear him. And this comes about through the Quran through contemplating and reflecting and understanding the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it will bring about sakina. It will bring about peace and tranquility and relaxation to this person. And he will be independent. He will not be bothered and worried about anything else. He will be sufficed by Allah and by the words of Allah. He will feel honored and proud even if he does not have a large family around him. And he will, feel that, he will feel at ease in situations where others feel worried. This is the, the, the raha that we spoke about. That relaxation that we spoke about. That ease, that's, that independence that we are speaking about. Yani, it will be enough for him. And his main concern when reciting a surah will be when will recitation of Quran have an impact on me? Not when will I finish the surah. Subhanallah. Many of us, when we start to recite, we tell ourselves we are going to recite perhaps a particular surah. Or we are going to recite a juz. Or depending on your ability and so forth. Perhaps a person decides he's going to recite surah yasin. For example, surah yasin is approximately 10 pages. For example, 8, 9, 10 pages. So what's the, the goal? The goal of this person is to recite, he starts Yaseen, well, Quran al until the end. So the goal is to get to the end, and then we close the book and we, we move on. But the concern and the goal should not be reaching the end of the surah. It should be, when is this recitation going to have an impact on me? When is it going to have an effect on me, on my heart, on my, my iman, in my state of being and so forth? And that's why one of the imams of the Salaf, he said, how will a person possibly benefit from his recitation when his main goal is only to reach the end of the surah? And this is something to reflect over. This is something that most of us, we are guilty of. When we open up, our goal is to recite from point A to point B. When we're done, alhamdulillah, we move on. No contemplation, no reflection, no pondering of the ayat, no trying to understand the ayat, nothing. Allah Musta'an. Our aim is to get to the end, and we, and this is 
the point that the imam is bringing across. Rather his concern will be, when will I understand and pay heed to what Allah is saying to me? When will I rectify myself? When will I learn the lesson? This is the successful person. This is the person of the Quran. He, this is his concern. His concern is not about finishing. It's not about uh, you know, reaching the end of the surah or the end of the juz or the end of the hizb that I decided to recite. His goal is when will I understand and pay heed to what Allah is saying to me. Remember, Allah is talking to you. Allah is addressing you. You are part of the ummah. You are part of mankind. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he said, or perhaps Abdullah ibn Abbas, he said that when Allah says in the Quran, Ya ayyuhaladina amanu, oh you who believe, oh people of iman, you should listen up because Allah is addressing you. He's speaking to you. So you should take heed and listen up and listen. What is Allah saying? And how many times don't we recite, Ya ayyuhaladina amanu, and another verse, or towards the end of the verse. There are so many ayat like this. Yet, the Sahabi is telling us, when you hear this, you should think, Oh, people who have Iman, this is a call. This is an announcement coming from Allah. And we should listen up because we are people of Iman. So this is an address that includes us. Ya ayyuhan nas, Allah says, Oh, mankind, are we not amongst humanity and mankind? We should then listen up because Allah is addressing us. Subhanallah. So this should be our approach to try to understand the Quran. Try to... Not just a translation, but try to get a deeper understanding of the Qur'an as best as possible. So our concern is not to finish. Our concern is, when will I understand? And when will I pay heed to what Allah is saying to me? And when will I rectify myself? And when will I learn the lesson, subhanAllah? And then he says, because recitation of Qur'an is an ibadah, as we said, it's an act of worship. And an act of worship cannot be done properly when there is heedlessness and a lack of attention. May Allah help and guide us all. Ameen. Subhanallah. So part of our... What's the Imam saying? He's telling us that part of recitation... Recitation is ibadah, it's worship, yes. But part and parcel of recitation is... Of qira'ah is... It has to be done properly. And properly means there's no heedlessness and lack of attention. Meaning it's not just lip service. It's not just reciting, you know... Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Maliki, Yawmiddin, Iyaka, Na'budu, Wa Iyaka, Nasta'een, and Surah's done, next Surah, and even in our Salah, this is, the, this is the reality. You know, reflecting of the Qur'an is important, probably even more important in Salah, because we know the virtues of Salah is so much. The second most important thing after our belief, second most important obligation is Salah. But part and parcel of Salah is Khushur, and how does Khushur come about? One of the main uh, factors of khushu is understanding what you are reciting. That leads to khushu. Know what you are saying in the salah and so forth. Subhanallah. So it's not just about lip service. Recitation includes being focused and being attentive and concentrating. This is khushu. This is what khushu means. Subhanallah. So that we mentioned the quote of the imam because of these great fa'idah, great benefits in it. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help and guide us all as he mentioned. So understanding the Qur'an and living according to its teachings ta'ala, by the will of Allah makes one of the Ahlul Qur'an. We hear, we hear this, this phrase being used often. Uh, he's Ahlul Qur'an and this one is Ahlul Qur'an. Where does it come from? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in the hadith Inna lillahi ahlina minan nas Indeed Allah has his own people among mankind. 
his own people, these special people. And they said to him, Ya Rasulullah, man whom, who are they? Qala, he said, whom Ahlul Qur'ani, Ahlullahi wa khasatuhu. He said, they are the people of the Qur'an. Allah's own people, and they are those who are closest to him. Ahlullahi wa khasatuhu, those special people to him. They are close to him. They are the people of the Qur'an. Tayyip, how do we become a person of the Qur'an? That should be the question. And we said, it comes through understanding the Qur'an. Living the teachings of the Qur'an. Not necessarily memorizing the Qur'an. Memorizing the Qur'an is a great step towards being from the people of the Qur'an without a doubt. But it's not it's not a necessity. As we said, many of the Sahaba were not hufal. Yet they were better than us. Also, Imam Ibn Qayyim he said, a person can be from the people of the Qur'an even if he did not memorize the Qur'an. How so? He lives according to the book. He studies the Qur'an. As opposed to just memorizing, he tries his best, he reads up the meanings, he attends classes where tafsir is happening, and so forth. Even though he's not an Adam, even though it's not his lugha, but he makes an effort. He loves the Qur'an, so he strives his utmost best to try to understand the Qur'an. This is a greater level than just reciting the Qur'an. A person who struggles and he, he struggles with the language, for example, but he makes an effort to study the, the, the tafsir and the uh, interpretations of the Qur'an and the teachings of the Qur'an, he can be of a higher level than a person who is a great reciter of the Qur'an, but he doesn't understand much of the Qur'an. Subhanallah, this is something that we need to reflect over. Um, these are powerful reminders that we are getting from these ahadith and from the sayings of these great imams. Lastly, not studying the meanings and contemplating the meanings of the Qur'an is also a form of neglecting the Qur'an. And Allah Azza wa Jal says in Surah Al-Furqan, ayah number 30, وَقَالَ الرَّسُولُ يَا رَبِّ إِنَّ قَوْمِ اتَّخَذُوا هَذَا الْقُرْآنَ مَهْجُورًا The messenger, the Rasul, he said, and he cried out and he said, إِنَّ قَوْمِ my people, indeed, my people, اتَّخَذُوا هَذَا الْقُرْآنَ They have taken this Qur'an, they have received this Qur'an, Mahjura with neglect. The Mahjura comes from Hajar, which means to desert something, to move away from something, to forsake something. So they've neglected the Quran. They took the Quran. We have the Quran as Muslims, we believe in the Quran. But how much attention do we give to this Quran? How much effort do we make to try and understand this Quran? This is the question we need to ask ourselves, subhanAllah. Are we amongst those who the Messenger is complaining over, complaining about? Subhanallah, may Allah save us and guide us. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, in his famous tafsir, Imam Ibn Kathir, he said that not believing in it is the same as forsaking it. This is this word mahjura, forsaking it or neglecting it. Not believing in it is forsaking in it, forsaking it. Not pondering its meanings and trying to understand it is the same as forsaking it. Ya salam, this is the shahid, this is why we're mentioning this. Because he considers this a type of forsaking the Qur'an, a type of neglecting the Qur'an, a type of deserting the Qur'an. When we don't ponder its meanings, when we don't try to understand it, this is a, a form of neglecting the Qur'an. And he carries on and he says, not abiding by its commandments and 
Heeding its prohibitions is the same as forsaking it and turning away from it in favor of poetry like anashid for example or other words or songs or idle talk or some other way is the same as forsaking it. The Quran comes first. Those things are things that are always by the way. Nasheed is not an ibadah, it's not act of worship. There's no reward for singing a nasheed. There's no getting close to Allah by singing a nasheed. It's not an act of worship. The Prophet never sang nasheed, nor did the Sahaba. They would praise the Messenger of Allah with some words of poetry perhaps, yes. But to sing a nasheed, no. So to give that importance, I'm not saying it's haram either. Right, they are. We can get into that mas'ala again. But to give it importance, to become a nasheed artist or somebody who listens to a nasheed the whole day when he sings and he memorizes a nasheed or he tries to understand a nasheed. Yeah, salam. Why? What's There's the Quran. How much of it have you memorized? How much of it have you understood? How much of it can you recite and compare to this nasheed, for example? So we should not be you know, making a big deal out of things that are not a big deal in the Sharia. Stick to the that which is proven. How do we turn away from the Quran to something that has no value in it, and yet we haven't given our due and our right to the Quran? Shaykh Islam Tamiyah rahimahullah was one of the greatest ulama. He passed away perhaps seven, eight hundred years ago. From the time of his death until now, we have never seen anybody like him in terms of his scholarship and so forth. And he wrote thousands of works, many, many books. He's got great tafsir as well that he has written on snippets and ayat. In fact, even Kathir, rahimahullah, the famous Imam Kathir who wrote the great tafsir, was a student of Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, and he praised him so much and his knowledge and his this. Yet, before the death of Ibn Taymiyyah, he mentioned that he wishes he spent more of his life studying tafsir and writing about tafsir. This is after he wrote great voluminous works and great, you know, passed thousands of fatawa and did this and he, his life is so great, you know, you can go and study his life. But look, look at the depth of his, once he came to the end of his life, this was his one regret. He wished that he spent more time with the book of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is a great lesson for us as well. Those, I mean, we are not near to these great imams, Ibn Kathir and uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, and those before him as well. Yet they have, you know, dedicated their lives to this cause, and they still have those regrets. Where should we be? This is something that we need to ask ourselves again. Wallahul musta'an. So the question now is, we've mentioned, that was our, basically our introduction, to, to, to show the importance of the Qur'an, and to show the importance of tafsir, or the importance of contemplation, or the importance of studying the Qur'an, and not just reciting the Qur'an. You know, this is, that was the purpose of the introduction. It's to cause us to, say, to, to also wake up. We've just come out of the month of the Qur'an. You know, now we need to ask ourselves also, have we stuck to the recitation of the Qur'an since the month has left us just over one week? Or are we back to normal? Are we back to square one where we don't open the book except maybe once a week or twice a week? Allahu musta'an. Right? These are important questions that we need to ask ourselves, each and every one of us. How much are we dedicating to understanding the Quran? I saw a, a quote, or it was a tweet, but a very, 
powerful lesson behind it where a brother mentioned and he said he's met people who are studying Japanese and Chinese and Korean and whatever other language to understand anime that they are watching. You know, these cartoons and those things that are... And they are studying it to understand so they can watch it without... If there's no subtitles, they can still watch. And he said, subhanAllah, people are learning this, making an effort online, sitting, studying, learning these languages. Yet, no effort is made to learn the, the language of the Qur'an so that they, where they could be understanding the kalam of Allah. And this is, you know... We're not trying to attack anybody or to say to study any language is not permissible, but priorities. You know, this is the point. Where are our priorities? How do we spend time in something that there's no benefit in it? In reality, there's no benefit in it. In fact, it just leads to time wasting. Where we have the, the best of speech. The best of speech is the book of Allah. The speech of Allah Azza wa Jal. How much effort are we making to, to, to try our best? And this is just reminders. Wallahi, this is it. It's not trying to put anybody down. It's just a reminder. You know, where are we going? Where are you going? As the Quran says. So where do we start? If we are going to take heed of those ayat that we mentioned and those advices of the great ulama that we mentioned, where do we start? Well, this is where we, we start with the oft-recited verses. We don't say start with Surah Baqarah. Or start with... Wallahi, anywhere you start, I guess it's good. Khair. But the best place to start makes the most sense to start with the oft-recited ayat or surahs. And this is why we are doing tafsir of the short surahs of the Qur'an. Because all Muslims, or most Muslims, they have memorized those surahs. Or they get to listen to those surahs in salah. They go to the masjid. The imam generally reads from those surahs. The short surahs of the Quran. So this is where one should start. We should go to those surahs and start there. And make that our basis. Try your best at least to know those surahs. Memorize them. Try to learn the tajweed and proper recitation. Excellent. And then... Move to the next step, which is, I'm going now to take surah by surah, read the translation. Not just once off in my life, often I'm going to read it so that when I'm standing, at least when I'm standing in the salah, and the imam recites, I know what he's talking about. And I'm not actually saying that, the imam, that this person should know a word-for-word -word translation. That's to me is not that important. Word for word translation, most people are not going to be able to memorize it word for word. Rather, we should memorize, study the surah, get the, the lessons from the surah, understand what Allah is saying in the surah, in your own way, in your own mind, in your own, not saying your own interpretation, with the proper interpretation, the proper translation, but you should know what the surah means. And once, the more you contemplate over the surah and you understand it, the, the more profound the effect of the Qur'an will be upon you. So now the imam recites the surah, you know what the surah basically means, what the surah stands for, what the surah, the, the lessons the surah is coming with. Even though you may not know what the word ma'un maybe means by itself, for example. Right? So we don't say memorize word-for-word -word translation. 
it becomes a bit difficult for people. But to study a surah by itself, go through the translation, go through the, you know, the tafsir. You can get an English tafsir in Kathir, for example. You read through that. You ask a scholar, what does this word mean? Or what does this ayah mean? What is the, you know, the tafsir of the surah? And you at least have a general holistic understanding of the surah. So that when the surah is recited, we can get benefit from it. We know what Allah is telling us, at least. Even though we cannot give you necessarily a word-for-word breakdown of uh, of the surah. Inshallah, I hope that makes sense. But we will go through those surahs throughout this course, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, by the will of Allah. And we ask Allah to make it beneficial. And that He makes us of those who study His book. And those who understand His book. Ameen. The best of these surahs is Surah Al-Fatiha. Surah Al-Fatiha, and this is where we will start. And we will just give a, a brief, brief, uh, uh, well, just a short starting point, And next week we will continue with Surah Al-Fatiha. There's a lot that can be said about Surah Al-Fatiha. The only thing we're going to touch on today is, or are the names of Surah Al-Fatiha. Surah Al-Fatiha has many names. And the, the ulama of Tafsir have mentioned many names of Surah Al-Fatiha. So we will go through the names, we will end off on that, and next, we will, next week we will continue with a, a tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha, which is the most important of all the short surahs. Why? Because of its virtue and status and for various reasons. And we will mention them. Number one, or the first name of Surah Al-Fatiha is Al-Fatiha. Al-Fatiha, it is named Al-Fatiha, which means the opening. Al-Fatiha means the opening. And this is quite simply because it's the, the surah by which Allah has opened his book with. Right? The first, we open up the Quran, the first surah is Surah Al-Fatiha in terms of the tartib, in terms of the order or the sequence. This is why it is referred to as Al-Fatiha. It opens the book. And it's also the opening recitation in Salah. When we start the Salah, the first thing you hear the Imam saying is, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Surah Al-Fatiha. It opens up the Salah. It commences the salah. This is why it is called Al-Fatiha. It's also referred to as Ummul Quran. Ummul Quran. Um means the mother of Al-Quran, the Quran. The mother of the Quran. It's also referred to as Ummul Kitab, the mother of the book. Similar, very similar, the mother of the Quran or the mother of the book. It's also referred to as Al-Quran Al-Azim, the great Quran. The Great Quran. So those are four names we've mentioned so far. Al-Fatiha, Ummul Quran, Ummul Kitab, and Al-Quran Al-Azim. Imam Ibn Jarir Al-Tabari, Rahimahullah, was one of the classical and best Imams of Tafsir. He was a great Imam of Tafsir, a Mufassir. He said that it is named Ummul Quran. Why? Because the meaning of the entire Quran is summarized therein. The... the the general meanings of the Qur'an, of the entire Qur'an, is summarized within Surah Al-Fatiha. It is summarized within Surah Al-Fatiha. The general messages of the Qur'an is summarized within Surah Al-Fatiha. This is why it's referred to as Ummul Kitab or Ummul Qur'an. Or even Al-Qur'an Al-Azim, the great Qur'an. Because the general message is found within the Surah, these seven ayat alone. And again, we could now ask, well, how is that possible? Well, the deeper we delve into Surah Al-Fatiha, the more we see it is actually possible. 
the more we go into each ayah, the deeper we delve into the meaning of that ayah and break it down, then you will see how much this, uh, this surah actually includes, how much the surah actually encompasses. And this is why these scholars mentioned these names. In fact, it comes in hadith. Those names come from hadith. Um al-Quran, Um al-Kitab, and al-Quran al-Azim are found in hadith, in al-Tirmidhi, and al-Bukhari, Ibn Majah, and others. And Ibn Jarir al-Tabri then said, the Arabs named anything that concisely summarizes something or comprises the most part or the most important parts of something as um or mother. See, so uh, this also makes sense from the Arabic language side of things, that this is how the Arabs used to say, if something summarizes something, and it, it includes or comprises the most important parts of something, they will call that thing the mother of that thing, the um of that thing. Because it, 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 it basically comprises of all the important parts of something, this is the mother. So Fatiha comprises of all of the important parts of the Qur'an, the important messages of the Qur'an, therefore it's, it's referred to as the mother of the Qur'an, or the mother of the book, or Al-Qur'an Al-Azim for similar reasons. So those are four names so far. The fifth name is Sab'ul Mathani. Sab'ul Mathani, which means the seven oft-repeated verses. The seven oft-repeated verses. Um, the seven oft-repeated verses, why? Because they are frequently recited. And indeed recited in every rak'ah of salah. This is known. Surah Fatiha has seven ayat, seven verses. Every single salah, in every single rak'ah, we have to recite the Fatiha. Hence, it's referred to as the seven oft-repeated verses. Sab'ul Mathani. Sab'ul Mathani, that's number five, sorry. Number six is Alhamd. It's referred to as Alhamd. Alhamd means the praise. Like Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Alhamd means the praise. Because it contains mention of Hamd, Right? This is often how surahs are given their names. They contain a certain word. Like Surah Baqarah is named Surah Baqarah because it mentions the Baqarah, which is a cow. Um, and some ulama said that Alhamd constitutes the heart of Al-Fatiha. The heart of Al-Fatiha is to praise Allah. Is to praise Allah. This is also why they said it's appropriate that the name of Al-Fatiha is also Alhamd, which means the praise the praise, right? So those are six names that we've got for Al-Fatiha so far. Number seven is, it's also referred to as As-Salah, which means the Salah or the prayer. Why? Firstly, because if you look at the Hadith Qudsi, where Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam narrated from Allah Azza wa Jal, where Allah said, Qasamtu salata Qasamtu salata I have divided the Salah. Between myself and my slave equally, or into two halves. Qasamtu salata bayna abdi wa bayni wa bayna abdi nisfain. I have divided the salah between myself and my slave into two halves. And then the hadith carries on, and we will discuss this hadith perhaps next week, bi'idnillah. Then Allah says that when my servant says, Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen, Allah responds by saying, my servant has praised me. My servant has praised me. And it's a lengthy hadith. We will go through that hadith again. The point here is, the word salah here is 
referring to Surah Al-Fatiha and not the Salah necessarily. It's referring to Surah Al-Fatiha. The word Qasamtu Salata Baini, I divided the Salah between my, me and my slave, refers to the Fatiha. So, yes, refers to the Fatiha, hence one of its names is As-Salah. It's also named the Salah because its recitation is a condition for the validity of the Salah. Fatiha is a rukun of the Salah. Al-Fatiha is a rukun for the Salah. So therefore, this is also why it's referred to as As-Salah because there is no Salah without the Fatiha. There is no Salah that's accepted without Surah Al-Fatiha. This is another reason why it's referred to as As-Salah. It's also named Ash-Shifa, which means the cure. One of the names of Al-Fatiha is Ash-Shifa, which means the cure. Due to what Ad-Dadimi reports from Abu Sa'id, عنه, from the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, where he said the opening of the book is a cure to every poison. The opening of the book, meaning the Fatiha, is a cure to every poison. Although this hadith is weak, the hadith is mursal, it is a weak hadith, as mentioned by Al-Bani and others, uh, but scholars still use this name for the Fatiha because it's proven to be a Shifa. And if you look at the next hadith, which is Ar-Ruqya, that Al-Fatiha is also referred to as Ar-Ruqya, which means the spiritual cure. What's a Ruqya? Ar-Ruqya is a recitation, incantation, where we recite something as a cure. Right? So there's a hadith also of Abu Sa'id, which is in Sahih Bukhari. Where he recited upon a man who had been bitten, was stung by a scorpion, and he recited Al-Fatiha upon this man. One narration says he recited it seven times upon this man. Right? It's a lengthy story where the Sahaba were actually, you know, uh, kicked out of a village, and then this leader of the village was stung by a scorpion, and the people were unable to help him. They then went to the Sahaba and said, Look, you know, can you maybe help our leader? And they went. And this Sahabi, he recited the Fatiha over this man, and he was cured as if he was never stung. As if, so much so as if he, was, he had never been stung. <coughs> when this story was reported to the Prophet that this happened, and they were given, you know, a reward for this and so forth, the Prophet turned to him and said to him, and what made you, what caused you to know, how did you know that it is a Ruqya? Meaning that the Fatiha is a Ruqya. So the Prophet ﷺ referred to it as a ruqya, meaning it's something that if you get sick, if you get ill, you become anything. You can recite the Fatiha upon yourself or blow it on your hands and wipe it over your body or blow it in some water and drink the water or blow it over a person that you are doing ruqya over, perhaps your mother, your father, your child. They get sick, you recite the Fatiha over them, believing that Allah will give them shifa through this recitation. Allah is the only curer, but Allah has put you know, it's given us the sabab, the means to a cure. And one of this is the Fatiha. So through this we see it's a ruqya. And it's therefore also a cure. It's also a shifa. So that we accept that name as, um, as one of the names of the Fatiha. The last few names is narrated by Ash-Sha'bi from Ibn Abbas, the great Sahabi, radiallahu anhuma, who named it Asasul Qur'an, which means the foundation of the Qur'an. Asasul Qur'an. And he said, that the foundation of Al-Fatiha is with the name of Allah, the most beneficent and most merciful. Tayyib, so <clears throat> it is Asasul Qur'an, the foundation of the Qur'an. This is similar again to Ummul Qur'an and Ummul Kitab and so forth. 
Sufyan ibn Uyayna, rahimahullah, imam of the tabi'in, he said, Al-Waqiyah, the protector. He named it Al-Waqiyah, the protector. Perhaps he felt it's some type of protection as well through the Fatiha. And others called it Al-Kafiyah, the sufficient, because it suffices from everything other than it, but anything does not suffice it. So for example, an example of where it suffices over other things is Salah. You can decide, if you, if you make a Salah, Allahu Akbar, and in this rak'ah, you only recite the Fatiha. That would be sufficient. You don't have to recite another surah. That is recommended. But if you recited another surah instead of the Fatiha, it would not be sufficient. This is an example of what this Imam is saying. Hence, he called it Al-Kafiyah, the sufficient. And other scholars mentioned other names as well. We have Al-Kanz, for example, the treasure, and other examples as well. These are 12 of the names that are most well known, I would say, and Allah knows best. The most important of them, I would say, is Al-Fatiha. And again, this is such an important surah. It's a surah we all know by heart. We should at least try and learn some of these names, if at least half of these names. And they are easy to remember. Al-Fatiha, the opening. That's clear. Ummul Kitab, Ummul Quran. The mother of the book or the mother of the Quran. Easy to remember. Al-Quran Al-Azim, the great Quran. And we explained how it means, where these names came from. Or, what else did we say? Sab'ul Mathani. That's an important one to remember. The seven oft-repeated verses. Sab'ul Mathani. That's five. We mentioned Ashifa and Ar-Ruqya. The cure and the Ruqya. Ashifa and Ar-Ruqya. That is, the cure and the Ruqya. What else did we mention? Then at the end we mentioned... Um, we mentioned Al-Waqiyah, we mentioned Al-Kafiyah, the protector, and the sufficient, and we mentioned Asasul Quran, that was number 10, oh, well the order might be slightly out, and we also mentioned As-Salah, it's, it's, it's referred to as As-Salah because of the Hadith, and because Salah, it's a condition for the Salah to be accepted, and we also mentioned Alhamd, which was the 12th one, right? At least try and know six of them. At least try and know six or seven of them. So that you, it, it helps you understand the virtue of the surah. The greatness of the surah that these are the names of this surah. It's not just Al-Fatiha. It's also the Shifa, the cure. It's also the Ruqya. It's also the foundation of the Quran. It's the mother of the Quran. The mother of the book. It's the seven oft-repeated verses. It's the Hamd. It's the praise. It's the praise. It's a praiseworthy surah. It is, you know... Try and memorize these. Memorize it. Give you take take a few and memorize them. Bi'idnillah, and you will see it will change your understanding of the Fatiha already. It will add to you the greatness of the Fatiha uh, in your understanding. It will it will it will definitely improve the status of the Fatiha to you. Bi'idnillah taala. So <clears throat> we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to accept from us. We ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to make us of those who study His book and to be of the Ahlul Quran. To be of the people of Quran, those who are the people of Allah, those who are close and, sp- and special to Him, Amin uh, Rabbal Alamin, and not of those who desert and forsake and neglect the book, Amin Rabbal Alamin. So, next week, we continue, and we will continue with a tafsir of the surah Al Fatiha, and then we will move to the back and go through the short surahs of the Quran, those surahs that again most people have memorized and know that they hear in the Salah and so forth. 
because they, I believe that it's the most important to at least understand them before we move on to the bigger surahs and surahs that we don't, you know, especially because of salah. Because now the status of salah is enhanced because we understand what's being recited. We understand what's being recited. Bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. Tayyib. So until next week, inshallah, wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala anhi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Shadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.